0: was devastating it was so devastating to have to not use the walker and end up in this wheelchair this whole identity of who I was as you know either on campus or in my life was just gone and all I felt was like my wheelchair made me broken.
1: Welcome to the stigma-free vet zone podcast our mission is to help veterans and their family members make the transition from the military to civilian life and culture as best we can we avoid stigmatizing names and terms we feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey including such things as nightmares rage and isolation veterans and family members in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify understand and resolve these enormous life challenges
2: Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting Orban Foundation at OrbanFoundationForVeterans dot org. Please consider donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans dot org forward slash donate.
1: The Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Thank you for choosing to make this journey with us. Here is today's segment.
2: Hi, and thank you for joining Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. My name is Aaron Schroffnagel. Joining me today is actually a dear friend of mine, Leah Coriel. Leah served in the Army before being medically retired uh, with MS and has gone on through the adventures of that uh, diagnosis to become a world-recognized archer for the United States Paralympic team. Um, So I'm really excited to have her on the podcast with us today and sharing her story. So thanks for coming. Thanks for coming and joining us, Leah.
0: Well, thanks for having me.
2: So let's get a little bit of a backstory. You joined the Army in, when did you join? Why did you choose the Army? What made you look towards military service?
0: Well, I don't even know if you know this, Erin, but um, I come from a very large family and I was actually a foster kid. The first four of us were by um, my dad and then my mom remarried when I was 10 and had the rest of the children. But I was in and out of foster care a lot. And it's ironic because um, I looked at my birth certificate for something the other day and my dad's occupation is listed as inmate. <laughs> and I'm like, well, there's to the good beginnings right there. That's where that started. Boom, right out of the gate. But um, so as I, you know, was... A kid bounced around from foster care back and forth. You know, extreme poverty. My mom is illiterate. Um, Didn't drive. Very limited childhood. So by the time I got to high school, I realized that if I wanted to live a different life than she did, that I needed to find a way out. And the recruiters are at the high school every single day. And people say, but they're going to yell at you. I'm like, dude, if you know what I went through, they can yell at me all day and I'll grin through it because that's nothing. So that's why I joined the military. And that's why my brother Gary joined the military is because it was a way out and it was a future because that's the one thing that, you know, I have never regretted it. And all the military people in my family have never regretted it because it's a lifetime of benefits and pride.
2: Mm-hmm. And and like you said, it gave you that, it gave you not only a way out, but it gave you a sense of stability that you, I think, had been missing. And it gives you that cohesive, stable, although not always friendly family. I mean, you're not bouncing from foster care to foster care and back and right. forth to home. I mean, it's this is your unit. This is right. your your group that. I, and that,
0: I knew that. Um, I wanted to go to college. I am actually a first generation high school graduate wow. in my in both my paternal and my maternal family. So, and we're going all the way back to the 1600s. They're all, you know, staunch. Patriots. So the picture of Washington crossing the Delaware in the boat, that boat is Coriel's Ferry. That is my fifth great-grandfather who was a captain in George Washington's army rowing that boat. That's wow. how far back my lineage goes. But education was never something you know patriotism but not education and i knew i wanted a different life and if i wanted to go to college i that's what i did was join the military which is very very common in the military community there's a lot of first generation student veterans
2: wow i actually had no idea that story that your family went all the way back to washington Yep, that's that's really cool (laughs)
0: um
2: okay so you joined the army what year is it
0: 1982
2: 1982. So there's not an active war per se. You're you're after you're well after Vietnam and Korea and but Desert Storm hasn't happened yet. So you're kind of in the the lull area. It's kind of full time.
0: Was kind of a thing. The Faroe Islands was kind of a thing, but it was mostly peaceful. Mm-hmm. When I enlisted, I enlisted as a police officer because I'm a child of domestic violence and they were my heroes. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a police officer. But before I got out of basic training, the needs of the Army took over and I had to be a truck driver. I'm a terrible truck driver. I still cannot back a trailer up to save my life. So mostly I was an E2 detailer.
2: So you're really good at washing trucks. I'm
0: really good at it. Yep
2: you know it's also needed we got to take care of the vehicles as well um hey my my military specialty is logistics so i was the parts person in the back room so you know it's not a glamorous job but it needs to get done so now tell me a little bit about your service i know you got your diagnosis when you were in uniform and that caused your you know separation from the army and into that you know Genre of, I guess, medical retirement because they didn't let you stay in. They didn't even let you finish your your contract. Exactly, um,
0: and that was a big shame for me for years. Was shame. So they didn't actually find my diagnosis until I got out. What happened is we all got our inoculations, and then that weekend I fell and broke my leg and ended up in the hospital anyway. But so did a bunch of women from my unit. So one of those vaccines did not bode well for women. I don't know what the issue was, but I think out of 64 of us, probably at least three quarters have an autoimmune disease and most of them have died.
2: Wow. So there but, was something wrong I, with one, something, something that they gave you.
0: Something, but so I broke my leg and I never got the feeling back in my leg. I had some nerve damage and I had like per- propriocept, you know, like where I am in space and they couldn't figure it out. So that's why they med boarded me out. Wow. Yeah. So they thought it was like a meningitis thing that all the women in the same barracks had gotten meningitis because all of us had inflammation in the brain. Well, that went down. They med boarded me out. I got out and then I got it meningitis as a, you know, newly separated veteran. And they're like, this isn't meningitis. You have MS.
2: So then, so- how- I mean, you said it was a lot of shame, but it's like, that's kind of a shock. You know, here you are joining the army to... You know, not only serve and carry on your family's legacy of service, um, but also give yourself an out, an escape from that, you know, childhood that you had faced. And now it's kind of being ripped away from you. And you said shame, but it's like now it's paired with, okay. well, it was meningitis. Well, now it's MS. And I mean, how did that I mean, how did that feel? It feels to me. It feels like it would go into a tailspin.
0: Well, I was the shame comes from not completing my contract and not being in very long. So, yes, I was a vet. But a lot of people like to argue, if you haven't deployed or served during conflict, you're not really a veteran, which I don't believe. And you all taught me that.
2: Yeah. So good. Y-
0: you are the ones that got me over the shame. Like, well, I'm not really a vet. And they're like, you stood up and said, voluntarily said, I will defend and protect this country and our people. That makes you a veteran. So, right. but it was shameful because, you know, my dad, my stepdad, my brother, you know, they had you know, military history. And I really didn't get to do that. And I felt like, like a sham. Like I really wasn't a veteran, even though I was, you know, got out longboarded with a disability. The VA gave me a disability right away. I've always had VA care, but it didn't feel like I had, you know, had contributed to the welfare of my country Mm -hmm. at that time. But it has completely done a 180 now.
2: Good. I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's did a 180. Cause I look at it from my perspective is, you know, I met you a little bit later, but you've done so much and it's not like you chose to get out. I mean, right. they chose for you. You would have stayed in probably 20 years knowing you, you would have stayed in for the full ride oh, yeah. and given everything. I mean, you, you signed up, you were there to serve and the army kind of sent you home. And it's like, I, I, I understand. I think where the shame is coming from. But I just, I can't wrap my head around how the I'm shame such an incredible. Is so deep.
0: Person. When you're told growing up that, you know, you're a liar, or um, you're not wanted, or you're stupid, or you're dumb, or whatever, when you grow up with that shame already attached to you, because you're a leftover, you're yeah. a leftover from another kid, another school, another father, another family, you're always a leftover, which is why I joined the military. And guess who ended up a leftover? So where did I go? I could have gone anywhere in the United States when I got out of the military. But my shame was so great, I came right back to the place I was born. But it changes later.
2: It changes later. Mm -hmm. So now we're home. Now we've got MS. I mean, We know what's happening. How much did you understand about what that diagnosis meant?
0: I don't think I really did then because I had relapsing, remitting. So I would have maybe every couple of years like a really bad they call it an exacerbation where I would like lose my vision or develop a tremor or un- unable to bear weight. But, you know, I would go in the hospital, they would pump me full of prednisone and I'd be back on my feet. So in the beginning I thought, you know, obviously it's, it's stunk, but it wasn't really bad. I went to college. I went to UWL and I had my degree in recreation fiad, and health with a minor in psychology. I got married um, into our marriage. I had two kids and all the while, there are residuals, but I'm still highly functioning. Okay. Until so, you met. Me.
2: Until I met you. So yeah, I'm I'm your downfall. No. <laughs> um so when were your children born?
0: Uh Cassie was born in ninety four and Joe was born in ninety seven.
2: Okay. So about, you know, twelve to thirteen years right. after the diagnosis, you're right. I mean, How old are you at this point when you're when the kids Um, are born?
0: I was 30 when I had Cassidy and almost 33 when I had Joey.
2: Okay. So, you know, you're in your 30s, you've got this, you know, disease, but it's not that bad at this point. I mean, it's you you kind of have an idea that, okay, this is serious. It's serious enough that they medically retired me from the army. They wouldn't let me stay in and, and fulfill the contract that I wanted to fulfill. I mean, but you know, life is kind of going on. You got a degree, you got married. I mean, you're starting to have, I guess, some normalcy.
0: Right. But the the MS was, you know, it would have probably should have used a cane. But when the occupational therapist came to the house, this is right after Cassidy was born because it was such a heavy load on me. And I'm not painting my husband, ex-husband out to be a bad guy, just somebody that couldn't cope. And he told them they were not moving a thing in my kitchen because he was not going to allow me to be a cripple. So when we went out to eat or anywhere near his school, he was also a teacher. I was not allowed to act crippled.
2: That doesn't seem very supportive. No,
0: no. And I think it was fear driven. Now that looking back on it, it was fear driven, but it doesn't matter. It was wrong. It was absolutely wrong. And then when Joe came two and a half years later, Joey was a very sick little baby. And he said the same thing. I can't have a kid that's that medically messed up. And I'm like... I'm out. See ya. Okay.
2: So is that when you split from him?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, the kids were little. Joe was two and Cassidy was four.
2: Wow. I,
0: re-
2: I remember in our past conversations um, that, that you were single mom at Leon. when the kids were very young. So they have
0: no memory of us together, which is, it is a blessing in itself. I mean, there's always a silver lining. They no. never I remember when mom and dad, they don't have it mom's yeah. house or dad's house wow. so that's the way it worked but yes i had them probably 99 percent of the time because he remarried and had a new family but we did well you know we were the three musketeers but um after the divorce i was still teaching at waterford high school and i started to it started the i need elbow crutches and it was l- less time between exacerbations and that's when i went back to get my master's degree we moved back to the Milwaukee area Um, at UWM and my, my degree was in adult learning when I started and library and information science. And I, I don't know if you know the story, how I even ended up with a student vet. So hang on to your pants here. So I'm working as a grad student, like making copies in the copy center. And the lady who was the head of the department came up and she said, I'm a member of the student veterans on campus advisory board. Would you want to sit on that committee with me? And I just looked at her and I said, um, I'm pretty sure you can find a younger combat vet somewhere on this campus than me. I'm, a, I'm the world's oldest private, I'm an U2. And yeah, you gotta be able to find someone else. Said, no, 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 it'll be fine, it'll be fine. So I went to the committee meeting and if they thought they were gonna get a quiet me token
1: disabled vet
0: they were very wrong i was blown away and lost it i said y'all better be ashamed of yourself you're telling me that you have 1500 student vets on this campus and you have a two percent graduation rate mm-hmm. you all be ashamed. are you kidding me why why aren't these vets graduating so in one of my classes i did a presentation where i met mike Kirschner. he and i had been in three classes i had no idea he was a combat vet so I, I put up, I said, Mike, we got to get like a student organization or something. So we started Student Veterans of America. How that started, is I, I, did, I think I put up signs, if you remember, all over campus that said, are you a vet? Free tacos. And I yep. made crock pot full of tacos. And I said, no, every vet came out of the woodwork for mama's tacos. And I had not nearly enough.
2: You but, offer food veterans are normally going to show up, especially yeah. college level veterans. It's like of any age, like. We're still college kids. You you offer food with a disc, like, you got to be a veteran. We're like, oh, game on.
0: Exactly. And they'll look at, hey, aren't you in my psych class? You're in my accounting class. You're a vet. You're a vet. So these, and I'm referring to y'all as kids because you're young enough to be my, all these kids on campus had no idea that there were other vets. They all felt like they were the only one and that they had to hide because of their views of the world are very different than what they are 18-year-old freshmen in a liberal college atmosphere. So that's when I began to do deeper studies into student veterans and what was going on behind the scenes there. What was What were the factors that were impeding their ability to use an educational benefit that they earned? Mm-hmm. And that's how uh, the student veterans. After we got the organization going, I actually in front of the um, chancellor and all the I can't think of what it is board of regents or whatever. I I wanted to prove that the military is its own culture because, as you know, UWM most universities, state schools have support centers for every other culture in the world. You know, um, not just geographically, but we have LGBT and the Women's Center and all these other centers and the veterans didn't have a center. And they said, they're not a culture. And I'm like, oh yes, they are. And came up with this great proposal. And they're like, all right, if you can find a space on campus, we will start a student veterans um, organization or a, or a place, a support center for them. Well, the guy that ran the union said he didn't have any room for us. He'd let me know after about two weeks and I hadn't heard anything. I sat outside his door and, you know, I'm very quiet and very, you know, no, I talked to every single person that walked by his door. Hi, hi. What are you doing? Are you okay? Yeah. I'm just waiting for a space. Just waiting for a space within 48 hours. We had a space.
1: And I remember
2: it was actually a, an old study room, a quiet study room in the main floor of the student union of UW Milwaukee campus. Um, Cause it was actually one of my haunts. I was one of the only people that went in there because I, you know, I, I thought I was the only veteran I thought I had to hide. Um, and I, I liked the isolation that that room gave because I already felt isolated. Because I remember the taco the posters glass,
0: because it had the glass front. It had
2: glass.
0: Mm-hmm. You could see who was coming. And it had walls, brick walls behind us, but the glass, we called it the fishbowl, you could see what was going on. So there was a safety aspect and the people inside the fishbowl knew you and they had you. So yeah, that was interesting. But when we started every piece of furniture in there, because they cleared everything out and said, have at it. I'm like, Ryan, Ryan Mm -hmm. Walters, Kenny you, Ranger Scott, I don't know what his last name is. You, a bunch of y'all, Casey, um... We acquired one summer. Joey was in on that. My own child acquired all that furniture over one summer. You know, Shocking. I don't know
2: where it all thing. came from.
0: We acquired it just like we learned in the military. It doesn't have a name or a home. It's coming with us. So that's is we- a
2: Gear adrift is a gift.
0: hmm Exactly. So it worked out in our favor.
2: So now it is 20... I, I know we, I started college at UWM in 2011. So now we're, you know, several years later, this whole while you've been dealing with MS, it's been getting worse. It's been getting more frequent in the, um, what are they called? Exacerbations. Yes. Yes. Um, which are like bouts of MS where you're dealing with major symptomology and then it kind of dissipates and then it kind of goes in remissions, but then it comes back, but that it keeps coming back again and again and again, it's getting, um, Duration is getting more frequent um, and it's lasting a little longer every time it comes back. And you're a single mom and now you're getting your master's degree. How is that taking a toll on you mentally?
0: It it was very stressful because I, I also became the director of, and we call it Maverick, the military and veterans resource center with Mike Kirshner, which was a wonderful thing, but it was a, it was a position that people Not only on the UWM campus, but all the UW campuses did not realize what a resource was there. So that's when shooters on campus became a thing, unfortunately. So we actually had a campus-wide meeting about shooters on campus to come up with a response plan. And when I walked in there, the police chief at the time looked at me. He said, I'm glad you're here. It's probably going to be one of your guys. And I lost it absolutely lost I'm like, why do people keep testing this? I'm actually a nice person, but y'all making me into not one. I said, are you kidding me? Those student veterans know how to respond to a crisis. It's what they're trained in. You want somebody who knows what they're doing? You need to use the student veterans because they're going to be running toward it, not away from it. You want them to safely get people, you know, to get other students or faculty to safety. They're your people. So I'm very proud to say right now that on every UW campus in the state of Wisconsin, there is a student veteran-led response team. To wow.
2: Shooters on- wow. It's an incredible so, you- asset too. Cause you're right. I mean, if we're going to respond, we're going to be running head towards, you know, head, you know, headlong into yeah. it. Cause that's at a certain point training takes in and, and, and kicks in and takes over and we just, Away we go. Like, before we even know what's happening, our feet right. are already running.
0: So, yeah. And I knew that that could be very categorically catastrophic if they didn't you didn't know where the rest of your team was. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was important to pull together a team and a response team. Right. But so, yeah, I um, was getting sicker and sicker and I ended up in the hospital. I don't if you remember that because I it, it was so painful to even stand. And that's when they had done all the MRIs again and they came in and he said, your MS is now progressive. It's not you're not going to get any better. Tomorrow, you're not going to be better than today. This is it. It's too late. So you need to decide going forward in your life what you want that to look like. And they pulled me out of occupational therapy and physical therapy and all the rest of that and put me in palliative care. And instead of you know um, restorative care or whatever at the top of my problem list, it said comfort measures. And that's when I ended up in in a wheelchair, in that purple wheelchair. And I could still walk a bit, but it was devastating. It was so devastating to have to not use the walker and end up in this wheelchair. This whole identity of who I was as, you know, either on campus or in my life was just gone. And all I felt was like my wheelchair made me broken. But I need to say that my children were a key part. You know, by this time, they're teenagers, a key part in helping me to accept that. And I didn't realize how hard, how hard my illness affected them. So when I got the wheelchair, we were able to like, they had never been to an amusement park. Because I couldn't get through an amusement park with my MS and a walker. They'd never been to Gurney Mills. They'd never been to the Capitol, you know, to or to the farmer's market. How selfish of me to not want to look disabled in a wheelchair so everybody would